Well, we are wrapping up the chapter part of the Ezekiel. We may still spend another week doing a somewhat of a summary. But in Ezekiel 47, 13 is where we start, all the way out to 48 and 35. A lot of reading to do tonight. A lot of stuff to cover. We will try and get through it all. Uh, wasn't worth trying to split it up into two. But I think we can get it all in here into one. But in, in the book of Genesis, God had made a promise to Abraham. He said, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt, which is the Nile, to the great river, which is the river Euphrates. In Joshua, we read that the promise was fulfilled. Joshua says that the promise that God made was fulfilled. The Lord says so as well. But they didn't go as far as the river Euphrates, nor did they go as far as the Nile. So, is the promised land different from the land that was given? And I put a little note on the Facebook post that I put up that this might just be a more interesting question than it seems on the surface. So, let's take this on. Here in 47.13, we'll just read about the the divisions here. Thus says the Lord God, These are the borders by which you shall divide the land as an inheritance among the twelve tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions. You shall... Un- oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> you, uh, Joseph shall have two portions. You shall inherit it equally with one another. For I raise my hand in an oath to give it to your fathers, and this land shall fall to you as your inheritance. This shall be the border of the land on the north from the great sea by the road to... Hethlon, as goes as one goes to Zadad, Hamath, Barothath, uh, Zib, Zibram, which is between the border of Damascus and the border of Hamath, to Hazar, Hatikon, which is in the border of Haran. This, thus, the border shall be from the sea to Hazar Anan, the border of Damascus. And as for the north, northward, it is the border of Hamath. This is the north side. On the east side, you shall mark out the border from between. Haran and Damascus and between Gilead and the land of Israel along the Jordan and along the eastern side of the sea this is the east side the the south side toward the south shall be from Tamar to the waters of Meribah by Kadesh along the brook to the great sea this is the south side toward the south the west side shall be the great sea from the southern boundary until one comes to a point opposite Hamath this is the west side. Thus you shall divide this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. It shall be that you will divide it by lot as an inheritance for yourselves and for the strangers who dwell among you and who bear children among you. They shall be to you as native born among the children of Israel. They shall have an inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. And it shall be that whatever tribe the stranger dwells, there you shall give him his inheritance. Now when we look at the the borders that are laid out here on the north the north is pretty we, we pretty much have the north the green all over the place but the the um, the one goes from the great sea that will go over to we pull up any of our we don't have any of our images coming up here just yet but we will soon if you are uh, on the email list you have all of the pictures uh, sent to you if you're here of course in the building you'll see them up there on the screen and if you don't have access to it, you haven't given me your email address, do so, and I will certainly email those pictures. There's about 14 of them. So the land is divided into 12 sections. 
here we see that Levi is left out. Of course, Ezekiel 44:28 said, "It shall be in regard to their inherit, in regard to their inheritance, that I am their inheritance. You shall give them no possession in Israel, for I am their possession." To make up for that, Joseph is divided into two tribes: Manasseh and Ephraim, or Ephraim, however you want to say that, following the blessing that Abraham bestowed on both of those. That um, I'm sorry, not Abraham, but uh, Jacob had put on on both of those when Joseph brought him to to her to his father. Uh, so scratch out Abraham there, put the wrong guy in. But the borders of the land here compared to those given to Moses in Numbers chapter 34. Now go ahead and call up our first image. We're not going to read over Numbers chapter 34, but this is kind of what the the, the land looked like from. Um, as they were divided up with Moses, uh, there was one point where uh, Joshua redistricted some things because some people hadn't gone after the land they were supposed to, so they went through and they remapped it all and then they redistricted. Uh, but this is how this is laid out and where the different tribes are at. Uh, and this is not going to look anything like Ezekiel's. Ezekiel's going to lay this out completely differently. So uh, Judah is going to be around in the same area, but a lot of these other ones are going to be, be changed. Here is the Jordan. This is, of course, the east side of the Jordan. We have East Manasseh, and over here we have West Manasseh. They're split up. That's why they're sometimes referred to as the half-tribe of Manasseh. Half the tribe is over here, half the tribe is over here, if anyone's ever wondering where that phrase comes from. Uh, Gad, they, they took their inheritance over here, and so did Reuben. You remember that little skirmish they had when the, these two and a half tribes said that they wanted to live on the other side of the Jordan? They had all this land that was conquered there. Hey, we'd just like to live over here. And Moses was thinking that, uh, uh, hey, you guys need to go over. And of course, we're going to go over, but we just, uh, we're going to stay with them and, and do the fighting. But then we just want to come back and settle in over here. And so that was agreed upon. On, um, in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. If you can bring up image number two for us, this is going to be, this is the land that was given to Israel. This is the river Euphrates. This is the Nile. Then they just kind of drew a straight line across there to, to, this is the land that Abraham was told by God in Genesis 15 that he would be given. This is Israel. Which one's bigger? <laughs> it's not hard to tell, is it? So why is the land given here? The area they took is here. And in the book of Joshua, it says that the promise is fulfilled. Is that a problem to anybody? So that's what we're taking on here tonight. Now, there are some passages in Joshua that seem to say that the entire land had been conquered. Uh, let's turn over here to Joshua chapter 10. Your outline is missing one number. We're going to look at Joshua 10, 40 to 43. Just put a 3 after that 4. got backspaced over or deleted somehow and I didn't see it. Sometimes the cursor's in a different spot and I hit a key and <laughs> things go away. I didn't see. But anyway, Joshua 10, 40 to 43. Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country in the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. 
all these kings in their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to camp at Gilgal. In Joshua chapter 11, verse 16, Thus Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak and the ascent to Seir, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All the others they took in battle, for it was the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. And at that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with all their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. There remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Joshua took how much of the land? The whole land. In chapter 21, verse 43 and 43. Uh, through 45. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Any doubt that everything that God said is fulfilled. <laughs> That's what it says in there, isn't it? Joshua twenty-three, fourteen. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. How many things failed? Not one. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will, be, will burn against you and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Now, there's some other passages that seem to say that there was a, some more land to cover in Joshua 13.1. Now, Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Joshua 18.3, And Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord your God and fathers has given you? Now, part of it comes from a clue here found in Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, we're going to read the whole passage here, but one verse in particular, and I uh, laid that out for you there in your outline. But in verse 17, If you should say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, how can I dispose them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes, eyes saw, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so shall the Lord your 
God do to all peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until those who are left who hide themselves from you are destroyed. Talk about murder hornets, huh? You shall not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them all them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. And he will deliver their kings into your hand and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. Now what's he saying right here is when Israel comes into the land, they don't have enough people to populate it. And, and go ahead back to our first map. This uh, land that they have right here is more than enough land to house the two to four million people that they've got. And God says, if you take the entire land, then the animals are going to take over and they'll begin to push you guys out. So we want more people in there to keep the animals under control. Apparently God doesn't want animals to just run amok. Go over to the next one. Uh, number two. So this area over here is what he's speaking about. If they did not have enough people to inhabit this area over here, how would they have enough people to inhabit all this over here? Now we'll show you some more things about this to help you understand what it is that God was bringing them into. Why there is a difference. Because there is a reason. I feel there is anyway. There is a reason why the area given, and I'm using the word term given to separate from what was promised. This is what is called the promised land. This is the area that was given to Abraham. So I use those two different things. So if you hear me say given, we're talking about the big area. Promised is the smaller area. Let's go over to keep on going here in chapter 48. More to uncover for us. Now these are the names of the tribes from the northern border along the road to Hethlon at the entrance of Hamath to Hazar and on the border of Damascus northward in the direction of Hamath. There shall be one section for Dan from its east to its west side by the border of Dan from the east side to the west one section for Asher by the border of Asher from the east side to the west one section for Nephtali. I'm going to read this through fast because you can't do a study of Ezekiel without reading the book of Ezekiel. <laughs> but we're going to show you a map that's going to lay all this out for you so you can see it. By the border of Nephtali from the east side to the west side, one section for Manasseh. By the border of Manasseh from the east side to the west side, one section for Ephraim. By the border of Ephraim from the east side to the west side, one section for Reuben. By the border of Reuben from the east side to the west side, one section for Judah. By the border of Judah from the east side to the west side shall be the districts which you shall set apart 25,000 cubits in width and in length the same as one of the other portions from the east side to the west with the sanctuary in the center. We went over this uh, more detail in the earlier chapters. This, the district that you shall set apart for the Lord shall be 25,000 cubits in th length and 10,000 in width. The, to these, to the priests, the holy district shall belong on the north, on the north, 25,000 cubits in length, on the west, 10,000 in width, on the east, 10,000 in width, and on the south, 
25,000 in length. The sanctuary of the Lord shall be in the center. It shall be for the priest, the sons of Zadok, who are sanctified, who have kept my charge. We talked about Zadok on Sunday. Who did not go astray when the children of Israel went astray as the Levites went astray. And this district of land that is set apart shall be to them a thing most holy by the border of the Levites. Opposite the border of the priests, the Levites shall have an area 25,000 cubits in length, 10,000 in width. You can see the theme there. Its entire length shall be 25,000 and its width 10,000. Get ready with map one. We're going to go to that before we go to number three. And they shall not sell or exchange any of it. They may not alienate this best part of the land for it is holy to the Lord. The 5,000 cubits in width that remain along the edge of the 25,000 shall be for general use by the city for dwellings, common land, and the center shall be in the center. We've gone over all this before in the earlier chapters. It's pretty much the same thing he's, he laid out there. These shall be its measurements. The north side, 4,500 cubits. South side, 5,500. The east side, 4,500. West side, 4,500. The common land of the city shall be to the north, 250 cubits. To the south, 250. To the east, 250. To the west, 250. The rest of the length alongside the district of the holy section shall be 10,000 cubits to the east and 10,000 to the west. It shall be adjacent to the district of the holy section and its produce shall be food for the workers of the city. The workers of the city from all the tribes of Israel shall cultivate it. The entire district shall be 25,000 cubits by 25,000 cubits four square. You shall set apart the holy district with the property of the city. All right, go ahead and pull up number three here first. Then we'll go back to number one. We still have more of this to read, but I'm much, um, is that number three? Go to number four then. Which one has my... We'll go back here and take a look at this here in a minute. Um, give me the divisions under Ezekiel. This is basically what we're looking at here. We're doing everything is neat and orderly. Look at this. Dan, little square little area right here. Now some of them take these northern tribes and they zoom them out. Some of the maps, they zoom them out wider. Not exactly sure why, but if you look at some of them, some of them will do that. Other ones, they just have it going, but each one's about even, coming all the way on down. But Dan's up here, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Ephraim, Reuben, Judah. I don't know why they spell them funny here, but it was the best map I could find for <laughs> that would show us these, these kind of things. But uh, I looked at this first and I said, what language is this in? This is the holy district. This is the part with the temple. This is the holy district. Judah is right on top of that. Benjamin is on the bottom side. Simeon is down over here. And then we have uh, Zebulun, Gad, and... Uh, um, name just went out of my head. Because it's not spelled there anywhere near close to what it is. Is it... Uh, it's, it's probably Issachar, yeah. Because Neftali is, is just uh, out there from the northern parts. So, let's go ahead and finish off our... Our verses here. Where did we leave off at? I think it was around 22. So we'll pick up at 22. Moreover, apart from the possessions of the Levites and the possessions of the city, which are in the midst of what belongs to the prince in the area between the border and the Judah, and the border of Benjamin shall belong to the prince. As for the rest of the tribes from the east side to the west, Benjamin shall have one section by the border of Benjamin, the east side. To the west, Simeon shall have one section by the border of Simeon. From the east side to the west side, Issachar shall have one section. By the border of Issachar to the east side to the west side, Zebulun shall have one section. By the border of Zebulun 
from the east side to the west side, Gad shall have one section by the border of Gad to the, on the south side toward the south. The border shall be from Tamar to the waters of Meribah by Kadesh along the brook to the great city or the great sea. This is the land which you shall divide by lot as an inheritance among the tribes of Israel and these are their portions, says the Lord God. So pull that map up we just had up and then we're going to go over to the uh, one with Moses, divisions by Moses. So this is how it is with Ezekiel. Nice and orderly. Look at that, straight lines. No curved stuff. Nothing like that, just everything straight lines. Everybody knows where they belong. Now go over to the one with Moses. That's what we have with Moses, under Moses and Joshua. Uh, no straight lines. Everybody, a little bit over here, a little bit over there. Uh, Nephtali is up over here. We're kind of going north and south. Asher is over here. we got Judah over here. Simeon stuck in the middle. You know, they're just kind of uh, mixed up all over the place. So Ezekiel straightens all this up, at least the, the uh, instructions that he gets, straightens all this up. Now the list here that Ezekiel has, it includes Dan, Asher, Nephtali, Manasseh, Ephraim, Reuben, Judah, the Zedekites, Levi, Benjamin, Simeon, Issachar, Zebulun, and Gad. We divide the Zedekites from the rest of the Levites because of the faithfulness of those who were of Zedek. In Revelation 7, 4, and 8, Levi, Joseph, and Manasseh are included, but Dan and Ephraim are left out. There's a lot of suppositions about that. We're going to give you some of them some of the things on that but Levi is included now Levi is generally not included because they're the priestly tribe but in the book of Revelation we don't need the priestly tribe anymore so they are now included in the inheritance here's the funny one Joseph is included and who are his two sons Manasseh and Ephraim so if we are including Joseph why do we include Manasseh if we include Manasseh why don't we just include Ephraim so the two that are left out here are Dan and Ephraim. They are left out. So the people went to work and they tried to figure out what all this is. Why are they left out? Dan, it seemed to be pretty easy, but it's, uh, as I was looking over this, it's not quite as cut and dry as you, as you might think. In Judges chapter 18, verse 30, Then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image, and Jonathan, the son of Gershon, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests of the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. This is the book of Judges. They got into idolatry early. They were one of the first tribes to get into idolatry. There's a prophecy in Genesis 49.17 that says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider falls backward. That does not sound like it's putting Dan in a very good position. Dan is going to be a, a thorn to the tribes. And the idolatry that maybe they fell into might be it. Now here's one, and this is the kicker. This is one a lot of people will, will, will do, and I have questions about it. This comes from 1 Kings 12, 28. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. However, this is not the tribe of Dan. This is the city of Dan. Pull up for me the, the other one with Moses. This, uh, which one did I call it? Yep, that's the one. This is Dan. That's the tribe of Dan. That is the city of Dan. 
city of Dan is in the tribe of Nephtali. The golden image, the golden calf, was set up in Dan because it says as far north as Dan. Now, if you're going to try and set up golden calves for convenience of worship, which is what the um, uh, what it was stated, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are these golden calves for you. So, instead of going to Jerusalem, which is right here, these northern tribes, when they split up, would have to go down to Jerusalem to be a part of the feast and so forth. Instead, we set up one here at Bethel, which is real close to Jerusalem, but it's in their territory. And the other one we set up all the way over here. If you were doing this for convenience, if you were like the makers of Wawa and you weren't going to set up two spots, you wouldn't put one all the way up over here. It would be down further. Maybe somewhere around Issachar. But somewhere is a little bit more central. So that people over here don't have to go real far. People from here can go either here or this way. You, you, you make it somewhat central. Why in the world is it way up over here in the city of Dan? But a lot of folks have taken it to mean Dan. But Dan's inheritance is not up here. So Dan was not responsible for that idolatry. Someone else was. Now the other one is they try and, uh, and bring out that Ephraim was also involved with idolatry. So therefore we, we can't uh, count them. In Hosea, I don't know if I copy, I did not copy the right one in. So I'm going to need, um, well, I, I no, I mean the, the text. <laughs> I got the right ones in for there. But um, let me see which ones I don't have. So in 417, it's 417 and 12, is it 12 one? Okay, boy, I don't know why I copied the other one off like that. It gave me chapter 1. But Ephraim has joined the idols. Let him alone. Now the prophecy, a lot of prophecies when they talk about Ephraim are not talking about the tribe of Ephraim. They're talking about the northern nation. Because Ephraim became representative of the northern nation. And so sometimes they read these things and they say, we're talking about Ephraim. So therefore that particular uh, group was involved in idolatry. Whereas a lot of times they're referred to Ephraim in prophecy as the northern tribes. Not the tribe of Ephraim, but the northern tribes. So this is a prophecy about um, idolatry more than likely going towards the, the northern tribes. Where is that? Can you pull up 12.1 for me? Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians. Now, here's where you can really see this coming in. You have the northern tribes, which are ten. The southern tribes, which is Judah and Benjamin, and quarterback, uh, a hodgepodge of, of a bunch of others. Uh, really, you have to include Simeon in there because Simeon is smack in the middle of, of uh, Judah. But anyway, we have... Um, uh, go back to the first part of this. They make a covenant with the Assyrians. If you are the, um, if you are one tribe among ten, can you make a covenant with the Assyrians? What you have in the book of Kings is you have one of the northern kings making a covenant with the Assyrians for all ten tribes. So once again, Ephraim represents the northern tribes, not specifically those. 
So Ephraim and Dan are not necessarily left off because of their idolatry, but they are left off for some purpose that God had. Left them off with this one. But over there in Ezekiel, when we get to the end, they're back in there. So whatever they did, they got back in good graces. I don't know what, um, what all went on. But we had uh, images 4, 5, and 6. Did we, did we already cover all those? Yeah, I thought we probably did. Let's go over here because there's still, still our, our main question I want to get to. And we're building to that. Verse uh, 30 of 48. These are the exits of the city. On the north side, measuring 4,500 cubits, the gates of the city shall be named after the tribes of Israel. The three gates northward, one gate for Reuben, one gate for Judah, one gate for Levi. Can you pull up our image? I think it's going to be number seven, I'm hoping, or number eight. Go to, go to number eight. We'll come back to number seven. This is how we're reading it. This way you can see it as we're reading it. The gates of the city shall be named after the tribes of Israel. The three gates northward, one for Reuben, one for Judah, one for Levi. So Judah, Levi, and Reuben. These are the northern gates up over here. You can follow the rest of them along as we're reading. On the east side, 4,500 cubits, three gates, one gate for Joseph, one gate for Benjamin, one gate for Dan. On the south side, measuring 4,000 cubits, or 4,500 cubits, three gates, one gate for Simeon, one gate for Issachar, one gate for Zebulun. On the west side, 4,500 cubits, which are three gates, one gate for Gad, one gate for Asher, one gate for Nephtali. All the way around, there shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. So these are the 12, 12 gates. Can you think of another city in the Bible that talks about having 12 gates? The book of Revelation and the New Jerusalem is said to have 12 gates. Here's the funny thing about it, though. If you go through the book of Revelation and you look at all the things that are described for the New Jerusalem coming down and the 12 gates, it does not name them. It just says there are three to the north, three to the east, three to the west, three to the south. So is Ezekiel naming the 12 gates of the coming city? Once again, it comes to that question. Is what Ezekiel prophesying for the millennial reign or is it for the tribulation period? As with most prophecies, you can't tell before it happens. But after it happens, it's like, oh, that was so easy to see. Why can't we see that? It happened with Jesus. All the prophecies are there about Jesus and what was going to happen on the cross, and yet no one could see it until after it was done. God is good that way. Go back to the uh, number seven, the one we had before. This is how the camp is laid out. The camp is laid out with three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west, and they are set up differently. So we have Judah that went and moved from the west over here to the north. Dan got moved over here to the east, and they all kind of got jumbled around a little bit in there. But the um, uh, go back to number eight. What you're going to look at is a very organized pattern for Ezekiel's. Uh, gates. These are the senior sons of, of Leah. These are the oldest. Judah, Levi, and Reuben. They are the oldest, the three oldest. Reuben, I believe, was uh, first. Levi, I believe, was second. Judah would come up. Was Judah third? Or f- I forget the order of that. Judah, anyway, was the, was the one that we defaulted to because the other ones had canceled themselves out. 
So we have the senior sons of Lee, uh, of Lee over here. These are the junior sons, Simeon, Zebulun, and Issachar. We have the sons of Zilpah and the sons of Rachel over here on, the, on, on either side, east and west. And they're all organized. So these two are organized here. Bil, Bilhah is there and there. Dan and Nephtali are right there and there. Can you see the organization? Everything is far more organized. Judah is the head tribe. They're at the top. So the way that, that uh, Ezekiel has put things out, the way he laid out the land, everything is straight lines. Bang, 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 bang. One of the biggest changes you're going to see from the way Ezekiel lays it out to the, from the way that Moses and, and Joshua had laid it out is that Dan was around the center and was around Jerusalem. And they got moved all the way up north. They actually had the territory where the city of Dan is. But they didn't have it before then. But then they do. All right, let's get on to our question here. This is really where we spend most of our time. Is the promised land different than the land promised to Abraham? Now, can you go pull back our, our um, number two image, the one that shows the big area of the area given? I want you to commit this to memory because we can't split the screen. When Moses started, he was over here in Egypt. This is where he was born. He was uh, put into the Nile River, which is right over here, and pulled out of the Nile River. And, of course, the palace was along the Nile River, right? When he flees, he flees to Midian. Some people put Midian over here, over here, and some people keep it here in Saudi Arabia. It's probably a better idea to keep it in the Saudi Arabia area. Uh, but anyway, he would go from here and he would flee down to this peninsula over here, never needing to go north. He would go down over here. When he comes back, he would come back through, he, through this area here, cross over the Nile and come back over into Egypt. When he picks up Egypt and they go on through, they wander through the wilderness. They go all around in here and then they came up on the south side and that was the failed attempt. And they go away and then they come back up more into the middle part. This is around Jericho. And this is where they make the second attempt. When Moses is with them for the second attempt, he is right around here. That's important to know. Moses has led the children of Israel from here, out and around the wilderness, all, you know, wandering around here and in this area and then they come up here around the middle part they're coming up through the territory we call Jordan camped there before they made their crossover to the Jordan River to go into Jericho everybody remember that? Numbers 20 and verse 12 then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them you see that? you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them pull map back up again He's gone here, 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 all around in here, and all the way up to here. Where has he not gone? In this little tiny area right here. But he has gone all around in here, hasn't he? 
And what did God say? You shall not take them into the land that I promised them. So how is it that Moses could lead them all in this area between the river Euphrates, the river Nile, but God says you shall not lead them into my promised land? Is this land promised to Abraham? Genesis fifteen eighteen. I will give you all the land from the great river from the from the Nile to the great river Euphrates. But he's wandering all through here with the children. He's leading them. But God says very plainly, because of the disobedience, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. One more verse, Numbers 27, 12, and 13. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this Mount Abiram and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was gathered. Alright, we have another map to pull up. I believe it's number 9 or 10. Which one did we pull up last one? Was it pull up number 9? The mountain Abiram is actually a mountain range. The specific mountain that Moses was on is the mountain Nebo. If Moses stood here so that he could see the land, is he in the land that was promised? Or is he in the land that was given? Can you see the difference? God says you can see it, but you're not going to go in it. Now, go up to our next image. This, uh, this, these guys have Midian over on this side. So you can, uh, you would go over here and come on back over this way. He, this, this is our area up here of Israel. Tyre is up there, the very, very northern part. There is, uh, I think it's, it's Jericho. Yeah, Jericho's right there. This is our area of Israel. He doesn't go near there. But when he leads the children of Israel, they do come up and they will begin to park it right there. Go over to our next image. This is a monument that they erected on Mount Nebo, Nebo to symbolize the place where Moses stood. This is tradition. This is where they believe that he was, was at. They don't know for sure, but they think that he, this is where he was at. So if you go down into Jordan, you can take a tour and you can be standing up over here and be looking out over the land of Israel, as Moses would have done. But you would be in the land of Jordan, not in the promised land. Can you go over to our next image? This is the view that you would have. If you were standing on Mount Nebo, this is the view that you would have to see the land that God is going to give to them. Of course, it would have looked different for him, but the land layout would have been about the same. Um, go over to number 14, or the next the next one that we have in this succession. Go to 13 then. Yeah, I'll try to throw this one in here. If you stand up there, it will actually give you directional signs. If you look this particular way, you're going to look towards the Dead Sea in Hebron. If you look over here, you're going to look towards Jericho. And it just gives you all this directional stuff, so... Whatever way that you're looking, you know what you're looking at. 
this is not a real clear day. It's a little hazy out there, but on some clearer days you can see you can see more. Okay, now go on to the next one. This is a map of mostly what I want you to see here is Elijah. But where we have that Mount Nebo is right around there. What I wanted you to see, did you see this little spot right there? This is where it is thought that Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. Right around there. You know what else? You know what else happened around there? It probably wouldn't jump out at you. But as you read your Bible in the New Testament, Jesus got baptized. Who did he baptize Jesus? John the Baptist did. Where did he baptize them? In the Jordan. What city was he near? City of Jericho. Elijah was baptizing in the same area that Elijah, I'm sorry, John was baptized in the same area that Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. And Moses stands on this mountain and looks out over the promised land in that same area. Who were the two witnesses? Moses and Elijah, we, we certainly suppose. And what was John? John was the Elijah who was to come before. And they all had key parts of their ministry that happened right on around there. Right in that particular area. You know what else happens to be around here? Not too far off. Mount of Olives. Now, what I want you to see from all this is this. Go back to our big map. This is the area of Israel. This is what is called the promised land. This is the area that God had promised them that they would be. When Abraham dwelt in the land, he dwelt in this land. Except when he panicked and he went down to Egypt. He wasn't supposed to panic and go down to Egypt. He eventually came on back. But he sojourned around here. This is where he was walking around. He wasn't walking around over here in Saudi Arabia. He was walking around here. When David came to the throne, David caused Israel to become the most powerful nation in the region at that time. If you were to have an empire, if they were actually going to become an empire, they wanted to be, David would have brought them closest to it. There was no nation on earth more powerful than Israel during the reign of David. And David went out and he conquered. He took areas up around here and down down into this area a little bit. So he expanded them. But he did not go all the way out to here. He did not take all that, but he expanded it. Under Solomon, that expansion continued. But then after Solomon, it began to shrink. What was different was, David, not Saul, but David was faithful 
to do what God said to do in the land of promise. Solomon was in the beginning and then strayed from it. And so the kingdom began to shrink back down. And in fact, even the promised land areas were attacked. It seems this way. If we are faithful with the area of promise, we are given more of the territory that was given to us. One of our modern day applications of this, and this is something we all need to, to, to learn a little bit about. We look sometimes in the Word of God and, and people say, I'm called to be a prophet. I mean, and, and you know, we sometimes laugh at that, but God is still going to call people to be prophets because there's still a five-fold ministry gift and, and there's people that are going to be prophets. So somebody is going to get a calling to be a prophet. But if they get a calling to be a prophet, sometimes we want to look to the Word of God and say, oh, look what this prophet did. So I can do that. I would liken it to more like this. The calling of a prophet can have areas all around here. But the promised area of a prophet would be a smaller area. And as we are faithful in that smaller area, God expands us, just as David was faithful. And God began to expand him. He began to take and to conquer more of those areas. When you see some people who were prophets who were not faithful, they lost what they had. Whatever it is that we have from God, there are certain things that are promises, there are certain things that are promised to us, which we must be faithful in. goes right along with the whole borders thing that we've been looking at on Sunday mornings. But sometimes we get the idea that when the Word of God says, I have given you all this, that all this should be mine now. And what we see from the Word of God is, God says, I have given all of this to you. But here's where you operate from. Israel was to operate from this area and go out from here and do things with, with here. Now, David didn't conquer them and, and begin to put uh, Jewish people into these, these areas. He just had them pay him pay them money. And so they paid money and, and he got rich from it and they put a lot of money in for the temple and the temple was uh, done very, very glamorously because of all the money that David stored up. We heard that a lot of uh, precious metals, metals, I think silver, was counted as just a common thing because there was just so much of it. And um, other metals are, are done that way too. They still collected them and they still put them aside. We're going to use them for the, for the uh, building of the temple. But this will go, just if you just look at the fivefold, the fivefold ministry apostle has certain areas where they're supposed to operate in. You need to be faithful in that and then God expands it. As Paul was faithful in his ministry as an apostle, it began to be expanded. As people were faithful in the area of being a teacher, teacher was one of the fivefold ministries, then that became expanded and they, they began to get more revelation, do more things from, from God would, would show them other things to do. Each of these offices, there was a promise, there was an area which you were promised to be in, a promise to, 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 um, to operate in. But then there's areas for which you can go get, but not until you've been faithful in these areas. I think it's kind of like what this one is. God expected them to be faithful in this promised land, which is why he said the promised land is fulfilled. But now here is the given land. I want you to eventually expand your control. I want you to expand your influence all the way out as far as the Nile. I want you to go as far as the great river Euphrates. 
and they never expended their influence out that far. Ezekiel is one prophet. I think as you've seen the progress going out, he started out in this small area and God would give him a word and he would take that word and he would speak it out exactly as God said it. And we showed you the one, the one passage in particular that I think changed his ministry because God gave him some specific things to do and none of them seemed to make any sense. And he went out and did them exactly as God said, even though it was difficult, even though there would have been opposition to do it exactly the way God said, but he did it that way. And it seemed from that point on that he was given more specific stuff to prophesy than any prophet before him. Ezekiel's prophecies are the hardest for people to deal with because of how accurate and how impossible it would be to humanly predict the things he prophesied. Not just with Tyre, but another other spots as well. And we saw that that began to expand. And here I think in these last chapters we're seeing the expansion of that prophet ministry where he got into some areas here that other prophets hadn't gotten into because he was faithful in the areas that God gave him. And he was given some stuff. There's These parts here in Ezekiel still cause us trouble. I've shown you some of the spots and I said, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with this, but, but we just want to know what it says so then when it comes time and the light is shown, we'll understand it and we'll see it. I have such confidence in Ezekiel that I know what he got, what he wrote is exactly what God told him. So I can, I can with all confidence say, this is what's going to happen. I don't know how you make a temple that big. I don't know how you partition the land the way he says to partition the land. I don't understand how all these things are going on. But God told Ezekiel this is what's going to happen. And Ezekiel has enough clout with me that even though he's out in territories right now, I can't see it all. I can't understand it all. But I'm going to accept that what he got from God is good to go. You see, you've got areas even for your own life and ministry. Even if you're not in a five-fold ministry, God has given you a ministry. God has given you a calling. Whatever your calling is, there is an area for which you are to operate in. That is the promised area of that, of that ministry. But there's areas that God wants you to expand in. And your faithfulness in this area right here, that area that He gave you, that is where your faithfulness needs to be. Too often, people get their eyes out over here and say, I want to expand. I want to become great. I want people to see what is what I am, who I am, what I'm... And that's not what it's about. It's about keeping the base part faithful to that. And that's what Ezekiel did. All through this, he never lost the base part of his calling, which was to bring the Word of God to the people of Israel who were in captivity. And he kept doing it. And even though they hated him at times, even though they opposed him, even though they had people who would rise up and they would bring false words and people were going with the false words and not going with him and people would leave his meetings and then they would come back to his meetings and then they would leave his meetings and then things would be said. and things. He just stayed with what God told him to do. He is such a good example of that. He doesn't veer off of it. Moses is this way as well. Joshua is this way. Moses veered off the one time when he struck the rock. And of course, I told you 
uh, or my pastor had uh, shared with us before. He said, if you were Moses, would you rather go into the promised land with two to four million grumbling, griping complete people? Or would you rather go into the promised land with Jesus and uh, Elijah? Because Moses got to go into the promised land and Jesus and Elijah were on that, were on that spot. Now go back to um, that Elijah one. Now uh, the one that had the picture of um, where Elijah was was called up. I can probably find the number. Should say something about Elijah. Now, if you want to look this up, the, it's uh, the place is actually called Tel Mar Elias, which means hill. Tel means hill, so it's not a huge thing. It's just a it's just a hill. It's not a mountain. It's uh, in the I could list it here as being North Jordan, but um, Telmar Elias, and you can go there. You can look it up online. You can find some some uh, nice little pictures that you can you can check out. But that chariot that came over here to pick up Elijah, I'm under the impression I've shared this with you before. That same chariot picked up Moses, and it took them both into the other time. They made a stop off at the Mount of Transfiguration. And then they continued on until they got into the end times. And more than likely, that same thing came on back, dropped them back off of their time so they could die in their time. <laughs> but if my theory is correct, Moses and Elijah are not dead yet. When they die in the, in the um, tribulation, if this is my theory, this is not in the Word of God. When they die in the tribulation, and then they are resurrected back up to life. They are taken back into their time so their bodies can be back in the in their proper time. That's uh, that's my idea. That's what I'm sticking to. Because our God is the God of all times. He's the God of the past, the present, and the future at the same time. And for Him to go in the past and get somebody and bring them up to the future is no big deal. But once you die on this earth, you lose your ability to operate. You lose your right. And Elijah and Moses still have a right. You can see that in the ministry of Jesus. How many, how many miracles does Jesus do before the cross? In three and a half years. According to the apostles, more than the volumes could contain. How many miracles does Jesus do after the resurrection? He doesn't do any because he no longer has a right here. He has been, he's already died and he's been resurrected. If that is true, then Moses and Elijah cannot die yet until they die in the tribulation. And then they'll be taken back. Because well, how many miracles are they doing? They're doing lots. So if they're doing miracles, then they have a right to be here. Their right to be here is because they haven't died yet. No one saw Moses die. No one saw Elijah die. So they could very easily just be taken back up into the future, still be alive, do what they're supposed to do. When they do die, then they're taken back into the time and the bodies are laid to rest. Because we know that Moses' body is laid to rest there. But if Moses is one of the two witnesses and he's already dead, if resurrected Jesus can't perform miracles, how can resurrected Moses? So that's my theory. Of course, Brother Hagin says a theory is a supposition based on ignorance of this topic at hand. <laughs> so 
So I, I have ignorance on this on this topic, but I, I just try and put some of these things together from what I do know from the from the Word of God. It may be different from that, and that's fine. It doesn't shake anything that I have going on. But there is a promised area. There is a given area. In your life, there is something that God has promised you for you to operate in. That is your core. That is the 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 network that you work from. You must always be faithful with that. You can never outgrow that to where the other stuff becomes more important. That is your home base. If you are called to be a prophet, then there is a home base of what that prophet's ministry is. If you're called to be an apostle, we have some, some things we'll be getting into here in the, in the future. Um, weeks, months, I'm not sure how far in the future it is. But just if you look at the fivefold ministry, there's a lot of confusion on this today. And um, how many how many people do you know put apostle in their title? Now, according to the Word of God, if you were going to be an apostle, you are either one who pioneers works, or you are one who is pioneering a message. Paul was an apostle of grace, but he also was a pioneer of churches. But he took that message of grace and he taught that to the people. He got a lot of opposition for that, but he was an apostle of those particular things. Brother Hagin has been called an apostle of faith. He took the faith and healing message to the world. As he learned faith, he was to take that message. That's what God told him. As you learn faith and the things that you've done and studied, you need to go out and teach other people that. And so he was an apostle of that particular message. But there's a lot of people who put apostle in front of their name and they're simply pastors. They pastor a church. An apostle is not in one place for more than a year, two years, three years. They're off to something else. They got to be off building something. Got to be off putting something else. That's the ministry of an apostle. They're driven to do those particular things. An evangelist is one who, who not just evangelizes, but you're going to be seeing a lot of the power gifts operating inside of an evangelist. That's what causes them to be in the office of an evangelist. Someone who just goes out and evangelizes or gets people saved is not an evangelist. An office of, a, of an evangelist is one who operates in the uh, in the power gifts. Of the word, you can go through the back through the Word of God and show that. I'm not going to be doing that now. Even uh, the office of a pastor. In order to qualify to be in the office of a pastor, what do you need to do? You need to have a church. I mean, that's really what you got. If you're not, if you don't have a pastor. If you're not a pastor of a church, you're not a pastor. There's people that are going around and um, and saying, "I'm pastor so and so." But they have no church. Never had a church. How can you be a pastor? Never had a church. Don't have a church now. Don't have any churches trying to get you. How can you be a pastor? But don't put that title on. Because we don't understand the the, the, uh, the home base. So the home base of a pastor is a, is a church. That's, what you, that's the home base for the whole thing. I look at people that go out there and they're traveling ministers or apostles and stuff like that. And they're just driven to... To go out and to, to do do things and driven to go out to new places and I love to go to new places and it's not in me at all. I look at them and said, "Go to it, man!" I'll tell you what, I love being in the same place week after week, going into new stuff, digging into things. It would it would bore me to teach the same thing for six months in a row. Bore me to tears. It just I just would lose all enthusiasm for ministry. Just, just hanging up. But other people. Oh, I got to teach this one again. They refine it. They're, they're getting it better and better and better. And they get motivated by that. Because that's the, the calling they have. You see, they have that base of operation. 
You got to have that base of operation. You got to keep. You got to stay with it. Whatever it is that God has called us to, there's a base to that operation. And then from that, there's a whole big area out there that that base can minister to, can go after, and can do. Just as with with Israel. Under David, they began to see this. You can begin to go out and to expand that influence. You can, But he always took care of the home base. Now Solomon didn't. He started to let the home base erode. And then the whole thing fell apart. But David didn't. He kept the home base going. He made sure that the fires are going. He made sure that the praise is going. He made sure that the worship is going on. He had worshipers that were hired to just do nothing but worship. And just keep the worshiping going on. He wanted to make sure that home base was, was, was happening. Under David, we didn't see idolatry being a problem. He made sure he kept those the, the people on to the things of the Word of God. He kept the home base part of it going. We keep that home base going, whatever it is that, we're, that we have going on. And then you can begin to move out into some other areas. Because there is a promised area and there is a given area. There is no doubt that God said, Abraham, I have given you this land. But there's also no doubt that there is an area within that given that was promised. It's called the promised land, and that's what he took them to. And if the area of the given was the promised land, then how could Moses stand in an area of the given and said, look on the promised land, but you will not lead them in it. So according to God, Moses never led them into the promised land even though he walked all around the given. What is it that God has promised you? That's where you need to thrive. That's where you need to just really get your roots down in. And then what is it that from those areas you can begin to branch out into the given area? But don't lose sight of the area of promise. Well, Father, I thank you from ministries like Ezekiel, Elijah, Moses, Joshua, so many others, ones that went before us, ones who showed us how you can take care of the home base and begin to expand, grow into those areas that God says, these are areas that are given to you. You can walk on them, you can tread on them, and if you tread on them, they'll be yours. Father, there's also an area of promise. This is our home base. This is something we can never walk away from, forsake, or quit doing. I thank you for that home base, that place we come back to. And I thank you for the areas that are given to us that always keep us expecting more. Thank you for the way that you expand us as we meditate and think about the areas of our calling. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.